Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we're your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode, we'll focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod, or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Kyle, is 2021... We have made it through 2020, finally. Finally made it through the longest year that will ever happen, hopefully. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year to the listeners. Happy New Year to you, Chris. Happy New Year to you, Michael, even though we haven't introduced you back on the pod yet. Uh, it's, it's It feels great to be in a new year. It feels great to be back after what was a very long year and a very long first part of this bracket to talk more about it because uh, despite our tangents and our our long-winded responses, there were some things we didn't quite get to in the last episode, so I'm super stoked to do that. And as you heard, here to help us do that once again is our pal Michael. Michael, welcome back. Back at it in 2021, guys. Happy New Year. Glad to be here. Happy New Year. Yeah, so last episode, we didn't really get to dive in much uh, with you about your kind of background with Disney. So what what's your fandom like? How did it start? Uh, how has it grown? And tell us a little bit about taking part in living in Orlando. Yeah, so I mean, it started really young. Um, honestly, like I've taken many family vacations to Disney World and uh, have made my way over to California a couple times. Uh, had some really good times over there as well. Um, just like I think any 90s kid, I mean, those golden age Disney movies, the thick VHS was all about it. Hercules is my favorite Disney movie. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. So uh, I think it was just one of those things that like my mom introduced me to and I was just hooked. So and just. Disney just brings the magic for me. I don't know how to explain it, but uh, yeah, living in Orlando is great. You know, I'm far enough out of the way of Disney so that like I don't have to live it 24-7, but I can definitely like take a quick drive down uh, I-4 and be there in a jiffy and experience everything the parks have to offer, uh, Disney Springs, anything like that. So I think it's been uh, it's been pretty cool so far. And tell us a little bit about uh, attending the parks during this pandemic? Cause I know that you've been a few times. Uh, how has that experience been with, you know, having to mask up? How have the weights been? Tell us a little bit about, it. cause we're out here. I mean, Chris is usually on the East coast, but I'm out here on the West coast. Haven't been able to get a park in over a year. I don't even know what it's like anymore, man. It is different. So the first time that I went back to the parks was in August. And honestly, there was nobody there. I mean, nobody. You could social distance, you could have your mask on, and everything felt very safe. There were five-minute lines everywhere you go. I mean, it didn't matter what ride it was. You were not waiting more than five minutes. Just walk through the queue, get on. You know, they're sanitizing rides right when you get off so that when the next people come, they're nice and clean. But um, as they've progressively kind of ramped up, you know, letting more people in, the parks have gotten busier since I've moved to Orlando. I've been to all four parks. 
um, each one time. I want to say that like there's a lot of people, but it's not enough to where you feel super uncomfortable. There were a couple moments where I felt like, okay, maybe these people are getting a little too close. You know, sometimes it's like having the mask on because you have to have your mask on the entire time. There is the only time that you can take your mask off is if you are stationary, eating or drinking. Otherwise, mask on. And if they see you with it off, then they're going to yell at you. And obviously, it's in the nice Disney way of, hey, could you please put your mask back on? But And then the only other thing is like there's signage that is like, if you're repeatedly asked to keep your mask on, you will be banned from the parks. Dang. So, Jeez. I mean, they definitely are not joking around. And Disney has never been cleaner. I, you know, that is something that I've honestly kind of complained about in the past is like, you know, for employing as many people as they do and, you know, putting as much money into these parks as they do, you would think it'd be a little cleaner, but now it's as clean as you can possibly think. So, <laughs> Well, that's uh, hopefully a trend that continues on past the pandemic, which is hopefully soon. And hopefully we can get back to the parks and not be yelled at in the nice Disney way for not wearing our masks. So uh, yeah, good to hear it. Glad to hear that you're getting a little Disney magic in uh, while you can while you're over there in Florida. And I live vicariously through your Instagram stories. So thank you for that. Oh, no problem, man. Happy to provide a little bit of magic. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, before we start talking about 2020, we got to talk about some spoonful of sugar action. So Kyle, what is in your cup today? Yeah, I don't know if in the history of this show I've uh, shown up with a glass of wine, and yet here I am with a glass of wine, uh, mostly out of laziness, uh, out of beer, and I'm I'm resorting to wine. So this is a, an apothic red blend wine. Yeah, I'm I'm not a connoisseur of wine. I don't really care what kind it is. I couldn't tell you the difference between many types, especially if they're the same color. So this tastes like a red wine, and it's going to get the job done here in 2021. A little sad I'm ringing in the new year with just like a, a drink that I don't usually drink. I should have came a little harder with maybe some sort of Trader Sam's drink, but you do what you can. Chris, what you got? Well, I did the legwork for the both of us because okay. here I have something that could have only been conceived by my twisted imagination. Oh, no. I was in the grocery store this week, just dawdling along, bored in the store, and I got to the like dairy aisle, and I saw some gogurt, and then I saw a gogurt with Mandalorian on it, and then I was like, Grogurt, <laughs> and then I was like, wait a second, how can I make this a spoonful of sugar? Oh no. So when I was a little kid, yes. my mom used to put gogurts in the fridge and they would be like frozen little gogurt popsicles. But they weren't like frozen like frozen water. They were just like nice and like thick, mostly frozen yogurts. So I was like, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna cut the top off one and I'm gonna pour Grey Goose vodka into it. <laughs> So I did that and then it overflowed out the top. So what I had to do was I took two Mandalorian 
Gogurts and I put them into a bowl and then I poured vodka into the bowl and mixed it up and then I like ladled the yogurt back oh into the gogurt tube. But I couldn't seal it back up to stick it in the refrigerator or the freezer, so I put a clothespin on it to keep it closed. <laughs> but here is the frozen grogurt. Uh it has grogu on it and it is Berry Bounty flavored Groger. Oh. There is Grey Goose vodka in here, along with the yogurt. Uh, but the best part is on the back of the Groger tube is a little picture that says, when your song comes on, and it's <laughs> Grogu like vibing super hard with like the force. That's going to so, be you after this uh, Gogurt. I have not tasted it yet or like, felt the consistency of it but we're gonna give it a shot right now and this might be a new staple in my freezer if it works out so here we go let's freaking go <laughs> oh okay so tell me what the consistency of this thing is because we need to know. You, you're like you're you're Enjoy, you look like you're enjoying it, but it also so, looks like a process yogurt? to get out of the tube. Okay, so like a frozen gogurt is like nice and like thick. It has form to it, but it's not like chewing on an ice cube. Sure. It's like chewing on really, really thick ice cream, but alcohol doesn't freeze. So right. like uh, it's not as frozen as I would like it to be, <laughs> but it's still like enough that it's like a nice cold treat. Um, and I'm going to crush this, like, before we get through the first matchup, because it is amazing. Oh, um, man. And I'm about to create, like, 16 more of these with the rest of the Go-Gurts I have left yes. in my fridge right now. Oh, my <laughs> God. This is great. That's amazing. Um, wow. He just dropped a recipe for the masses right now. So I'm munching on my Grogurt. Uh, Michael, what do you have today? First of all, Chris, I am so proud that you're catching on to the Mandalorian vibe. <laughs> no matter in what very weird twisted way it possibly is such as grogu gogur anyway so i am back with my baby yoga yoda tiki mug yeah and uh you know i thought i'd put something different in it i ran out of baby yoda soda so i put something in there that i think we need to leave in the past leave in 2020 and so i am drinking a Corona. Hey, there you go. Beautiful. Smart, Beautiful. Smart. All right. Well, before we get into our discussion of the Elite Eight matchups, it is time for us to remind you where we left off. So our first Elite Eight matchup somehow is the number 16 NBA bubble versus number eight Mandalorian season two. Down the bracket is the number four Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway versus number 12 Black is King. On the other side of the bracket is the number two Rise of the Resistance at Disneyland versus number seven Disney Family Singalongs. And to round out our Elite Eight matchups, it is the number three Bob Chapek's Takeover of the Disney Company versus the number six Premier Access Landing and Appearing on Disney+. Plus. I'm excited for this one, guys, because uh, as I as I said last episode, as we left, we didn't get to dive into some of these a lot because they kind of passed on 
by default. Uh, this time around, Chris is lit on some Grogurt. Uh, Straight to Michael's, the dome. Michael's, I'm already done. <laughs> he's already done. Three minutes into the show, he's already done. Michael's leaving 2020 in the past. I somehow have a glass of wine. This is a crazy time for a crazy bracket. I'm ready to go. Chris, I started off last time. Go ahead and talk your NBA bubble stuff. So last episode, I was very high on the content coming from the NBA bubble. You had great Instagram stories from the likes of people like Hassan Whiteside, who just is a funny dude to begin with and put him in Disney and he just has great Disney reactions. You've also got those those little one-off weird uh, bubble bloopers, like guys getting in trouble for accidentally leaving the bubble to grab some food or um, inviting people that aren't supposed to be invited into the bubble into the bubble. It was a, a big deal to, to have sports back. Uh, they ended up restarting a couple weeks after Major League Baseball started, and NBA's plans were in place very, very early on. I think it only took a couple of months for them to really make the decision that they were going to do a bubble in Orlando. And everyone applauded the NBA for, for getting that done so soon until cases in Florida started going crazy and everyone was like, uh-oh, they're going to have to move this bubble or like, you know, planning so far in advance was a really bad idea. Suddenly, like, MLB was looking smart for not having a bubble, uh, and then that faded pretty quickly when it turned out having a bubble was a really good idea, uh, providing that everyone, you know, follows all the protocols correctly and that kind of stuff. There was never a bubble outbreak from anyone in the NBA or the NHL who also did a bubble in 2020. So I think uh, it's just proof that the bubble format works much better than going like free for all style um, from a like spreading the virus perspective. I mean, that's not taking into account like your uh, effect you might have on the players or the families or their personal lives or things like that. Um, So that's, that's a consideration I think other leagues might have when discussing bubbles in the future. So it'll be interesting to see like, if and how this concept is revisited in similar situations or, or next season or things like that. We talked about its importance from a social justice perspective as well. Players like coming together and deciding they didn't want to play and the league kind of like supporting them in that decision and being like, okay, like we're not going to play these games. Like if, if, if this is what you want, like you are the NBA, so we'll follow your lead. Um, I think that was a great look for the league. Leagues tend to not have very good looks often, so I feel like this was <laughs> one situation where like, you go, wow, uh, they did not drop the ball, pun intended, um, mm. in that situation for the most part. Michael referenced all of the people that were, uh, you know, working behind the scenes to to make all of this stuff happen for these players, creating a a Disney resort experience for them and their families. Guys were playing golf. Guys were playing pool. Looked like a great time, um, and and it was kind of cool to see them get the Disney treatment. Uh, there was a really great. Um, Instagram story from someone on the Lakers, or maybe it was Lakers social, 
uh, showing like the last bus of players leaving the the hotel and and all of the staff members at the hotel like lined up along the side of the walkway clapping and um, all of that stuff it just it felt super on brand for Disney and and it was cool to kind of see like the brand synergy between the NBA and Disney one already kind of exists uh, in downtown Disney in the NBA experience all-star experience live experience I don't know what it's called but um, there is a relationship there and it, it was kind of cool to see that relationship perhaps grow a little bit while the NBA was inside the the Disney World bubble last episode Kyle did not like that the NBA bubble didn't really like scream Disney like there was Disney involved but it didn't feel like a Disney thing so in this matchup with the Mandalorian I feel like that's definitely gonna work against it um, I mentioned that The Mandalorian was just an enjoyable piece of television to watch for even someone like me who loves to hate Star Wars. Uh, there there wasn't a whole lot of stuff to, to pick apart, save for maybe the last episode and a couple other moments in the show where they maybe embellished some of the larger like Skywalker saga type storylines or maybe throwing it back to some of those like uh, uh, Clone Wars or, or Star Wars Rebels storylines that just that just didn't play with me i do want to talk about the return of boba fett okay um i was confused because on twitter i saw boba fett was back and then i watched episode one and saw the timothy oliphant character like that wasn't actually boba fett and i was like oh like these people on twitter don't realize that that really wasn't boba fett and then actual (laughs) boba fett showed up and i was like oh (laughs) oh he's here he is here so the actor they got to play Boba Fett was Jango Fett in the prequel series. So right. it kind of would make sense that like he's a clone. That Star Wars lore is kind of like retconned. I don't know that that was written in there when the Boba Fett character was originally created. But alas, they got the actor whose name is Temuera Morrison. Uh, he is a New Zealand actor of Maori descent. And... um this dude's awesome. Like he is, <laughs> he is a really incredible actor. He's in a great movie called Once Were Warriors, which is amazing. I mean, it is so intense. Uh, if you want to give it a watch, trigger warning for literally everything that you can think of. It is crazy, but it's it's just very powerful, very well done, um, and really like speaks to that culture in New Zealand. But my favorite thing about this guy is that he has a music album called Tem, where he just does like acoustic covers of songs his dad used to sing to them. It's on Apple Music and it's like him doing Midnight Special by Credence Clearwater or like, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Um, So this is a man of many talents. So I just want to tip my cap to... Temuera Morrison, who, I mean, he does a really good job as Boba Fett in in Mandalorian season two. Uh, He's kind of like, obviously an older person now at this point, like in his bounty hunter career, he's, he's been eaten by a giant sandworm. So his face doesn't look (laughs) too good, but he's still got all the moves. I mean, he's still beating people up. Uh, His armor doesn't fit him as tight as it used to, obviously, but um, you know, 
for how much I hate the finale of Mandalorian season two and all of the implications that come with like, where does this series go next? Uh, I have to give it the advance here over the NBA bubble just for the sake of it being definitely more Disney, definitely more meaningful to people in a Disney specific type of way. So I'm advancing it here. Yeah. I think if this was a, like the, biggest cultural moment for disney like what was the most like impactful disney moment it could have been the nba it could have been black is king it could have been hamilton uh i think that it it just isn't that's not what this bracket is i think that the nba was very important and coming back and being tied to disney because disney has a lot of credibility in getting the job done uh we we view Disney as a, a high quality company, high quality output of entertainment comes from Disney. And to put the NBA in Disney's hands, what felt right, um, especially with their partnership with the ESPN and, and Disney owning ESPN, like NBA coming to Orlando just made sense. But I think that they tried to wash as much of the Disney away from it and just focus on NBA, which I'm very glad they did. It was one of those things that if they had done that during the like NBA restart, everyone would have been like, this is why we don't do anything at Disney. <laughs> <laughs> Next thing you know, Mickey's the referee, Goofy's keeping score. We don't want that. And so I'm glad that they stayed out of it. I'm glad that they were a good like community partner to the NBA, to ESPN, and they like allowed for the facilities to be used. Obviously, they got a lot of sponsorship money from it. Obviously, like there's a lot of lucrative dealing that happened to get that to, to where it was. So it was beneficial for Disney to do it. But also, you know, that return to normalcy in a, in a safe way was what we all kind of needed at that time. And as Chris brought up, they did it successfully. Hats off to the NBA, hats off to Disney for like enforcing the rules and making that happen and leading to a very fun like month of basketball. <laughs> it was awesome. Uh congratulations to the war or to the Lakers, I guess. Who cares? <laughs> and it's up against the Mandalorian season two which I, I I said last time I really enjoyed and uh, I enjoyed the chaos of the end. I had this thing, Chris, love telling the story because it makes me feel like I'm a 70-year-old man. When I first started working in baseball, I would drive from San Jose to Oakland every single day for the A's games to work uh, the Oakland A's games. That's like a peak time to drive. It took me about Close to two hours, which it shouldn't. And then on the way home, which would be around midnight, 45 minutes. On my way home, I'd be like exhausted, full day of work, uh, driving home pretty late. I would put on this podcast station that had um, old timey radio Western stories. And I loved yeah. listening to them uh, because it was like storytelling over the radio is always great because the dialogue is always way too much information because they have to give you the context of what's happening they don't just walk up to somebody at the bar and be like hey uh i heard about this they say oh that's uh you you having a, a beer i'll have a beer as well can you get me a beer <laughs> like they they go through every step to tell the story 
and the Mandalorian does that in those first like adventure episodes very well. It's they set the scene. You enjoy when Star Wars talks about Star Wars. I feel like they did that in those first few episodes very well. I think that they did. They didn't necessarily talk like Star Wars, but they set the scene as to what the heck was happening at each of these adventures. We knew what was happening. We knew what we were invested in. We knew we needed to kill this sandworm thing because of this. We knew we needed to break into this mining uh, compound because of that. So this is definitely the most Disney thing in this matchup. Uh, hats off to NBA and to Disney for all they did for for that moment, but. Uh, Mandalorian really stole the show at the end of this year. Uh, it, it was a great example of storytelling, in my opinion. And I love me some Western. So, Michael, Grogu lives to see another day. How you feeling over there? I'm feeling good, but it's just like y'all both said. The NBA bubble deserves a ton of credit. And I think that their relationship with Disney and how they set it up and how they executed it. I mean, it literally became the blueprint of how do we make sports as safe as possible for the players, for the staff, everybody around. And throwing in the uh, social impact that the NBA had in particular, it's, uh, it's definitely a highlight of 2020 in a year that was not full of a uh, very, very many uh, great things. But uh, yeah, we can. I can't wait to like unload my Mandalorian <laughs> takes. So uh, I, I definitely get uh, how y'all both enjoy that Western aspect, though. I mean, George Lucas has always said from the beginning that like Westerns and like Kurosawa uh, samurai films were yep. like two of the biggest influences that he had when it came to like creating the star Wars universe. So it definitely, uh, and it definitely reappears. Dave Filoni is basically George Lucas jr. If you're asking me, <laughs> that's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. Cool. All right. Well, I can't wait for you to absolutely unload on us about your Mandalorian opinions. Uh, but I'm about to unload about Mickey and Minnie's runaway railway, the hardest attraction name to state in a podcast uh that is up against uh black is king so we didn't get to talk about this lovely attraction last time so i'm gonna talk about it now uh it's coming to toontown at disneyland which is under construction still so this is like why none of this like attraction stuff makes sense to me and why i like brought it up with splash mountain is that we knew m&m r&r was coming to to the resort and we knew Splash Mountain was going to be renovated. Granted, Mickey and Minnie's definitely started construction uh, before the Splash Mountain announcement. Um, but like they were like full steam ahead. Like they're building this thing. They're, they're, they're vertical in Anaheim. And I kind of wish that they also just took the time to do that across the park to Splash Mountain. And I get that like it's a company and the revenue is not there that was planned for and yada, yada. I get it. I totally get it. But I feel like when you're one of the most powerful media close to monopolies in the world, like you can probably find the pocket change to do it as well as just find the pocket change to pay your cast members. But that's a whole different rant. <laughs> so let's talk about this attraction. It's over in uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios. Is that the name, Michael? Or are they still Hollywood Studios over there in Florida? 
last time I checked. <laughs> okay. I never can, I, I don't, I'd never been to Florida. I've never been to these parks. Uh, so it's either MGM or it's Hollywood. They've been celebrating a 30th year, I believe, maybe 20th, 10th, maybe. Fifth, I don't know. 50th. 50th is coming up next year. Of of Hollywood Studios or oh, of... oh no, no 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 okay no, I'm not paying like, attention I was like damn I had a... too many Grogerts <laughs> yeah the Grogerts are hitting so hard right now okay Chris talked a little bit about uh one of the scenes in Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway uh when he talked about Beauty and the Beast over in Tokyo uh and that was only one of the similarities between these two attractions. So in this attraction, you are on a train that is being conducted by Goofy. So you already know. (laughs) You already know that like, one, you're not in good hands. And two, things are probably going to get fairly wacky. And that's exactly what happens. Michael, before I continue, have you been on this ride in real life? I have been on this ride in real life. <laughs> and the first like scene when you get in and I happen to be in the first car. So I see the doors open and there is the new style goofy. Yeah. And the only thing that I'm thinking is, Oh my gosh, he's scaring me. This, <laughs> this is going to be kind of wild. Yes, absolutely. So I'm glad that you brought up new style Goofy. Chris, I don't know if we had this conversation. Your take, I can't take you seriously high off this Grogu-Gogurt right now, but uh, <laughs> your your take on this new style of these classic characters. Not into it at all. Okay. Like they just seem like they're spazzy, you know? Like yes. when Mick walks into a room he should command a presence. It's like, there he is. He's so regal. He's so composed. He's so perfect. He like demands your respect at all times. And like this new Mickey is like, he's just on crack. Like at all times he is on crack and he's like kind of been reduced to like what a Donald or a Goofy used to be. And that's just someone who like gets hurt a lot. Yeah, I agree. Definitely like his new character trait. I'm, I don't, I'm fine with it. (laughs) I like, I enjoy chaotic Mickey because I, I think that it's fine to like not have the icon of your company be perfection. I think it's okay for not only him to be very wrong most of the time. If you've watched any of the new stuff, uh, the new shorts from him, uh, but also, like have a personality that's beyond just like the sweet mouse. He is still that sweet mouse, but he's just like loud now (laughs) and very chaotic. And that's what you get out of this attraction is a ton of chaos. You get thrown into that new world. I love that style of animation because uh, not so much like I don't care for the, the new style of our characters, but if you watched any of this, uh, of the shorts, the background are so beautiful and they're so stylistic and a lot of them are look like watercolor uh, backgrounds and I just enjoy that so much because it's kind of putting like the artistry like up front 
in the background, like allowing artists to be artists instead of like having to form these very square buildings, match the styles of our characters. It also allows for our characters to stand out a little bit. And that shows up in this ride. So you're on this train conducted by Goofy. And as you go, Goofy is not paying attention, being Goofy, loses control of the train. And uh, Mickey and Minnie, who are driving alongside, forget to switch the tracks. And once they do, Goofy's going off on one end and you and your cars are leaving on the other. What I love about this is that they use trackless technology so that the cars separate once they leave Goofy's track. They kind of disperse and you're you're not in line with the one in front of you and, and not with the one in back of you. And that's so Mickey Mouse cartoons, even from like the beginning. You think about that one short uh, where Goofy's driving the, the truck and uh, Donald and Mickey are in the back in the trailer and Goofy like drives off without the trailer and the trailer like stumbles off a cliff and whatever and comes back connected with the the truck at the end that's exactly what happens here just you're in a train so i love that it's like very much you feel like you're in this cartoon we've talked about screen technology in the past and how they're really leaning into it they do that a lot here but i think they do a good job of also putting you in real like real life sets along the way and using the um screens to kind of accent where you are one moment that was dope, in my opinion, and a great use of technology is when they um, they get into the scene where like you're kind of in like a jungle almost or like a field and there's some cliffs around you and the uh, the cars turn around and go into their own little cubbies of screens. You're surrounded by a screen and you're watching like Mickey and Minnie trying to stop your, your car, but you're on a, a waterfall with them. Which makes me think, Michael, do these cars move other than just on their wheels? Are they like Beauty and the Beast where like your cabin actually like rotates on an axis? No, no. So it's the cabin itself is stationary. It's um it's a it's basically kinda like the rise of the resistance with the trackless technology. Okay. So you're watching the screen and Mickey and Minnie go off a waterfall, you go off a waterfall, and then like once you land or whatever, your car turns back around and the scene you just were in has switched and it's now projected you're underwater. Uh, and I was like, this is this is cool. It was like super simple, like a scene switch using projections and utilizing the screens. And I bring that up because Beauty and the Beast does that same exact effect, uh, just not with projections when you're in the BR guest scene, you turn around to look at these uh, really kind of lackluster scenes of um, dishes dancing in cabinets. And then you turn back around and all of a sudden Belle's table has a ton more like food and dishes and things dancing around on it. So I just think that like that trend of uh, these optical illusions and tricking us into focusing somewhere and then changing something that we've already seen. I really like that. So you go through all of these kind of chaotic scenes, you you switch around, you're moving in ways that you, others can't. Michael, I'm glad that you bring up that you were in the front of the train because the video that I watched did a couple of scenes where they recorded at the front and recorded at the back because a lot of the scenes are extended. You're not missing anything, but you get something more if you sit in the back, it seems like. Or you miss something at the beginning uh, 
if you're sitting in the back. So it's kind of cool that you can go on and maybe catch a little piece of dialogue here or there that you didn't the first time. So I, I, the repeatability is fantastic for me. The dancing with Daisy is what Chris brought up last time. There's a scene where you like wind up in Daisy's like ballroom. She instructs you to dance. Uh, it's, it's just like an indoor rollicking roadsters. It feels like they do the same like box step. They spin a little bit and then they form in line and leave the room. It was almost like, why even do that? <laughs> they, they like overplanned and had an extra room and they're like, ah, yes, put, yes, put yes. in the programming from Luigi's. They'll never know. It's literally the exact same thing. Yeah. Even just watching it, even just watching it, I could tell. Here's the part, everyone. Here's the part that if you have watched this or if you're like Michael, who have been on this, who wrote the lines for Goofy at the end of this attraction? Finally, the train gets put back together. You are driving through. Mickey and Minnie have finally reached their destination, which is to have a picnic. And Goofy says, hi, picnickers. And it's like, sir, what did you just scream? I... I highly recommend you go watch this ride through or go on the ride if you are so privileged and listen to Goofy at the end call Mickey and Minnie who are having a picnic picnickers and it's it toes the line. I could cut that clip and we'd be convinced that Goofy screamed the n-word at the end of a attraction. I wouldn't put it past drugged up goofy conductor to be honest i could not believe not one person flagged it not one person flagged it so in this matchup uh thank you for letting me guide you through that audio tour of mickey and minis and i'm really excited to to see it at toontown to be honest i want to experience it for real it's up against Black is King. We talked about it a lot. I talked about the controversy. I talked about the Beyonce effect. I talked about uh, what it meant in, at its time of release. I really hope that we do see more uh, visual album releases from these prominent artists. And I hope that artists have control of their visual art uh, releases and want to do it on platforms, whether it is Disney Plus or it is other platforms. I don't know if Disney Plus is the place for visual albums. Uh, they obviously got the older crowd, which is not children, into Disney Plus to watch it. I cannot imagine putting that on for somebody that's like 14 and younger, 13 and younger, you know? Like, that. it's a long visual album that you have to sit there and appreciate what's happening and not just sit there to be entertained. And that's a lot of the content that is on Disney Plus is like, let me see my characters or let me have some nostalgia or let me see, you know, like my nostalgic characters in a new form currently. So I don't know if like that format fits for Disney plus. I'm happy that they did it. I think that if they're going to go the musical route in long form, let's just go Broadway. But for what Beyonce did and like what that meant, I think that was really important. Long lasting. What was the most Disney Putting in the first attraction centered around Mickey and Minnie, that's huge. And to do it well, which I think they did, uh, is also huge. This also is that Star Wars thing that I talked about. We've now cemented 
Mickey and Minnie. And Chris, I want to hear your take on this real bad. We've now cemented this new chaotic Mickey in the parks as this is this is a current Mickey farm. So any other Mickey, you're going to show up and it's not going to be like this. In California, this ride is steps away from Regal, two-piece suit, in his house, Mickey Mouse. Not this Mickey. So it's do you, do we think he's going to pit they're going to pivot to just chaotic mickey or is this just like on screen mickey park mickey can be different how are they going to tell that line knowing knowing disney they have to rebrand the the character mickey i mean it just it, two mickeys divided cannot stand <laughs> i think that was from great moments from mr lincoln honestly uh-huh. but um <laughs> But yeah, I think I think they go with the rebrand. I mean, you could also make the argument though that like they put the Mickey on the Mickey's fun wheel yeah. and didn't like rebrand Mickey, but that sure. Mickey wasn't right next to Mickey's house. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Regardless, I'm moving uh, Runaway Railway on past Baki's King here as the. Uh, Better Disney thing for 2020, and I hope to see uh, it in person soon at Disneyland Resort. So uh, I said last week that I really enjoyed Black is King. Um, I think I will continue to enjoy Black is King. I don't know that I agree with you that like it's something that people that are only slightly older would watch or maybe appreciate. Like I would potentially argue the opposite, where it's something that I think younger people can enjoy as well because there's so much visual stimulation and it's not inappropriate in any way for young people i mean there's no like drug use or like guns or violence or anything like that um there's just there's just a lot to see i mean i could see young people seeing like uh beyonce dancing and i think it's the second song she's kind of like a celestial um Mm -hmm. like goddess and like she's just fabulous she's got like all kinds of really cool jewelry on and her costume's interesting and she has like body paint like i could see little kids like loving that um and, and wanting to like emulate that fabulousness so um so yeah i i think i disagree on that take the one thing for me that I think is going to cause Mickey and Minnie to advance here is that I don't want to give Disney too much credit for the creation of Black is King. Like this is point. very much a Beyonce project and like she should be the one that we are giving total credit to um, yeah. for this. And I mean, it's nice that Disney is the one who got it, but like, she also could have done this for HBO. I mean, like, yes, there's the Lion King connection, but like we were saying last week, like that is just such a like small part of it and and not really necessary that she could just as well have taken this somewhere else. And I think someone else could have bought it. So this is a Beyonce thing to me, much more than it is a Disney thing. And so, I mean, like you said, Having a Mickey and Minnie attraction, that's huge. That's Disney. So uh, I loved Black is King, but Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway will advance for me here to the final four. Michael, any last words for Black is King? I just enjoyed it. I, I mean, 
when it came to you know watching the taylor swift folklore and then like going into the beyonce black is king i was like oh gosh okay taylor swift was uh, a little underwhelming and then <laughs> spectacle yeah like, no totally sense. everything was over the top everything you expect from beyonce the tie-in with the lion king was really cool um it definitely gave it more of a storyline which i appreciated instead of it just being a straight album but uh yeah i I thought it was really well done and i agree with everything that y'all said that like she definitely deserves the credit and it's not i don't really think of it as disney i think of it as beyonce so i think that's uh kind of where it needs to be and you know mickey and minnie the king and queen of disney it's hard to one last thing i do want to mention about black is king is that the day after it was released on Disney Plus, they had it broadcast in Northern and Central Africa as well as the Middle East on broadcast television. Oh, so wow. I thought that was extremely cool. That's awesome. Um, so let's go ahead and hop over to the other side of the bracket where we have the number two seed Rise of the Resistance at Disneyland versus Disney Family Singalongs. I'm like you, Kyle. I have not ridden rise of the resistance in person i i cannot wait i i cannot wait it looks really cool i mean like i said not obsessed with new star wars but um, i I am someone who appreciates immersion a total immersion total theming uh, multi-sensory theming and and this rise of the resistance just looks like i mean it's it's like attraction overload i mean Michael, maybe you can speak to this, but it's like it's it's like you're actually there. Hundred percent. I mean, it is it is an experience from the moment that you get get into the queue, all the way to when you get off that ride. It is truly immersive. There, I mean, they they thought of everything from going into the queue. You see all of the stuff that is Star Wars related, whether it be you know. X-wing suits or like, I mean, actual ships, and then you get into kind of this like pre-ride like transport, and you have the you know the Mon Calamari captain, and then you have Poe Dameron, and then Poe Dameron flies away, and then you're then you get out onto this Imperial starship, and when you get out of this thing, you see stormtroopers. Rose of Stormtroopers. I don't think this is a spoiler because it's kind of all over the place by now. But yeah, I mean, if you're somebody like me who grew up loving Star Wars, still loves Star Wars. I mean, walking onto an Imperial starship and seeing just rows of Stormtroopers just blew my mind. I mean, I was almost satisfied from there. And then they throw more at you. The cast members are in character like they're working on the starship and they are so hard to break the last time that i rode rise of the resistance a couple weeks ago was the first time that i broke a character and it's because i was way over the top about saying i'm here to save baby yoda and i will do anything i have to to get him back (laughs) and he couldn't keep it together he's like all right just go (laughs) 
but other than that, I mean, they are, they will come right back at you. They don't like, they're not like cast member polite at all. And then when you get on the ride, it's everything Star Wars left and right. Anything that, anything that you can really think of, you more than likely are going to see, you're going to experience it. It's a dark ride. We love dark rides. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And, and, the thing that I think I'm looking forward to the most is just um, kind of appreciating like the scale of all of it and, and just how much they put into this thing. And you don't even have to be a star Wars fan to appreciate like the size of that landing bay that, that, you know, you, you walk into with all of those stormtroopers. Like it's just, you just don't see something like that ever. So it's just cool to be there. So really looking forward to writing one day. So I think like, you cannot argue that this is bad by by any means. I mean, it's the new gold standard for attractions in themed entertainment, not just at Disney, but anywhere. The thing, though, that I'm kind of getting stuck on is that we're talking about best Disney thing of 2020, and I think you know until the day we die when we hear, when we hear the words 2020, like a, a very like specific set of memories are going to be triggered inside of us. And especially when you talk about Disney parks in 2020, you're going to think they were closed or their funding was cut. Um, And, you know, the opening of rise of the resistance in January was huge. But uh, when we look back on the year, it's not really indicative of, of the type of year we had in Disney parks. So um, I think for that alone, I'm going to advance Disney family sing-alongs. Yeah. I think in the lens of 2020, like the family sing-alongs were that perfect culmination of what we needed at the time. And then also authentically Disney, which felt like, Bringing in the stars we know, the stars that we might see soon. Uh, you, you think of Hallie and Chloe, and they're in like every single sing along, and they'll be in the live action Little Mermaid, which the cast got announced at Investors Day. Uh, so, like future stars, current stars, past stars, High School Musical, Zach Geffron pulling the the soap bar out of his pocket shooting a video, introducing the the high school musical bit. Like it was important and it gave us a moment to like stop and not think about pandemic life and kind of bring the family together and, and sing along. It was cool. And it's, it, it's been cool it, at the very least. This holiday one was at least like it, it was at least entertaining, you know? Uh, but that first one was really good and it was fun to see like, who's coming up next and what song are they going to sing and then singing along to that song. And, you know, it, it was great. And you brought up uh, Ariana Grande's Hercules. I won't say I'm in love and she's done zero to hero in the past as well. Uh, and so to hear her voice matched up with like that, that style of music just made sense. And especially in that first episode, everyone that sang made sense to the song. And it, I loved that. Uh, what I didn't love was Derek Huffin. I know that you loved Come all on, the man. scenes with him. Come on. Dude, me, me and my mom used to watch Dancing with the Stars when it like first 
came out and Derek was one of the dancers and then he became one of the the judges and my mom despised this man because she was like he's just always on like no matter what he is always on over the top can't just like say a normal sentence without having to like have some flash and he's still like that and that's fine because it sells to like what he's doing and he's now like a host of the Disney like holiday specials and he's obviously very deeply ingrained in these sing-alongs uh but every time i see him i'm just i'm picking out these moments of like his uh over the topness which as a dancer that's what he's supposed to do so it's a very very deep rooted personal bias of mine where i'm just like rolling my eyes that of course he has the highest production value of course he has come up with this like entire dance scene that has cut scenes and he's costume changes and like stop being the most Derek tired of you being the most regardless I'm with you Disney family sing-alongs move on Michael down goes Star Wars well guys I'm good with it because I love to sing along okay yeah I mean y'all have I just said everything that needs to be said. Ariana Grande singing I Won't Say I'm in Love was amazing as a Hercules fan. Also got a zero to hero from Kiki Palmer and Dancing with the yeah. Stars. That was also entertaining. But, I mean, we, we can obviously talk about this more in a little bit, but it really, really drove kind of the family together. And it was an opportunity that really brought that Disney magic to everybody's house, especially at least the first one did, because I know that I watched with my family. I watched with people that were really special to me and it made it at that time. I know it made it so much better. And it, it is a memory of 2020 that I will remember moving forward. And that's why I think that this really is going this far in the bracket. Totally. So as we all sing along on our couch, Chris passes out on his family couch and we move on to the last of the elite eight matchups. It is the number three Bob Chapex takeover of the Disney company versus the number six premier access launching on Disney plus. We didn't really get to talk about Bob Chapex takeover, but essentially like Chris alluded to the fact that he's taking over for Bob Iger, who is viewed as this very successful Disney CEO uh, in comparison to Michael Eisner, who people did not like uh, at the end of his tenure, at the very least. At the end of his tenure, he got very protective of like his position as CEO. He got very... Uh, crazy kind of with his ideas. Splash Mountain was an Eisner era thought that was supposed to be themed after the movie Splash and then got reverted towards Song of the South once they realized they have all these leftover animatronics from America Sings. So he, Iger was kind of seen as this like saving force and he kind of was. The Disney company wasn't doing too well uh, in the 80s once the renaissance started it started to tick back up park attendance was abysmal you have the launch of uh euro disneyland which is disneyland paris and hong kong at the same time uh that eisner was in power and he's being discredited a lot for 
being CEO at the time of those park launches, which is like unfortunate. It's just one of those things that like as the head honcho, you're going to take some hits when people, other people make not great mistakes. And he could have been the culprit of it, but like it takes a village sometimes, you know? So when you compare Iger to Eisner, you see this like trend of positivity. Iger acquired all these companies. He enacted this idea of creativity first, bringing in the best minds, elevating the quality of content and output from your company. Uh, and then he's going to leave on a high note. I hyped up his book slightly last time, but like I thought it was a great book as to insight into the company as he led it, as well as like a leadership book, if you're interested in that at all. Recommend it. So now you have Chapek, who is who was in charge of the Disney parks, is now here to take over as CEO. And people were very skeptical because they didn't necessarily want Iger to completely leave after all of his successes. Um, so handshake, Chapek's here. He's like, yo, we got like Star Wars lands launching. Rise of the Resistance is coming January 2020 at Disneyland. This is going to be the greatest. Uh, we're going to build a hotel in Florida that is you just living in Star Wars. <laughs> and like life's going to be real good. And then the pandemic happened. And it's like we got to fire people and we have to cut entertainment and we have to do all of this stuff. And unfortunately, when tragedy happens, the CEO needs to be the leader of that and they need to respond to it. And the way to respond is not to leave those who were so committed to you in the cult. And I think that's what happened. And now I'm very outside. I'm not, I've never been a cast member, probably will never be a cast member, won't work for the Disney company, but it seemed like people were kind of being held on by a thread. And I saw that a lot in previous work where people just didn't know the like standing of their job. And unfortunately, the CEO needs to step up and be like, yo, this is what's happening. And I think that in the response of uh, a lot other tragedy, other tragedies that Bob Iger went through and he, his response, and he mentions these in his book, he was always the first to step and be like, this is what we're doing. This is how we're taking care of it. When that little boy died in Florida um, during that alligator attack, he was launching Shanghai Disneyland and he like put everything on hold and flew back and talked to the family and did all this stuff. Bob Chapek has been behind like a curtain and has just like spoke at Investors Day once and then blames a lot of the park stuff on California and just doesn't really say what he's going to do for his people. So that's like really, really disappointing. Premier Access on Disney Plus is also in the realm of Bob Chapek. Uh, but it's like a thing that Chris hyped up and I agree with him. There are times where like I want to see a movie, specifically a Disney movie, I'm talking like Onward, where it's like I want to see it as soon as possible because I've seen the hype and the trailers, but this doesn't feel like something I want to leave my house for or want to pay a ton of money for. 
whether that's plus gas and whatever you're eating at the place and, you know, dinner beforehand, whatever it is. So this gives us the opportunity to do it. And if you don't want to do it, if they're still using the same model as Mulan, you'll see it in two months. <laughs> like it's not that long of a wait to like see it as the general public that subscribe to this platform. I do have like a home theater system as far as sound goes. So watching Mulan was great. I would have way preferred to see it in theaters, uh, but it did the job here and Seoul did the same thing. So like as far as like what 20, like, 2020-ness is nitty-gritty premiere access all the way this is the pivot that had to happen i'm glad it did and i hope it carries over disney can still profit make that little upcharge bump how many did like accounted for it i don't know because i got like hella homies on the account i bought mulan and i'm sure everybody watched it so like $30 for like eight of the homies to watch Mulan like sorry about it but they did so whether it's uh, whether they're going to create theater level content to release premiere access we'll see uh, but I like the concept so I'm moving it on yeah much like I didn't want to credit Disney for Beyonce's work I also kind of don't want to credit Bob Chapek or Bob Iger for other people's work. Uh, like mm. you said, it it takes a village, and so I think obviously having a CEO who like makes smart decisions is really important. But at the same time, perhaps the most important quality of a CEO is someone who can smooth things over with the public. Is a great public speaker is a showman of sorts. Um, you know, you, you think of Bob Iger, just an incredible speaker, great on camera, or you can even look to another company like Apple and uh, Tim Apple, a.k.a. Tim Cook. Um, <laughs> he gets up there on, on Apple events and all he does is just hand off the microphone to other people who are actually more hands-on with, with the work that his company's putting out. So to like blame Bob Chapek entirely on all of this stuff is totally fair in that he has the final say over this and he's ultimately responsible for the culture of his own company. Um, but at the same time, like we have to approach his positive accomplishments with the same energy. Like um, Disney does X, Y, Z. It happened under Bob Chapek's watch Sure. He might have just said yes, you know, and so right. uh, this idea of the CEO being uber important is maybe not entirely reasonable. I'm just I'm just so hype on Premier Access. Uh, <laughs> this Bob Chapek tenure has, has not been long enough for us to make a fair judgment on uh, on what it is. Um, yeah, it was a huge thing that happened, but there is a changing of the tides in media distribution. Um, and 2020 is driving that changing of the tides. Premier Access is part of that. So so I'm advancing it to the final four. So Michael, parting words for Bob Chapek. Best of luck, my dude. Got big shoes to fill with the big Bobby Iger leaving. All right. So that takes us to... Uh, 
the first final four matchup, which is the Mandalorian Season 2, which is our eight seed, versus the number four seed, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. I'm going to give you the floor, Michael, and I want you to <laughs> unload all of your Mandalorian thoughts on us right now. All right. All right, guys. Listen up, because <laughs> let me tell you that the Mandalorian Season 2 was the best thing on Disney Plus this year, and it's not even close. When I go to Twitter on a daily basis, I see reactions from The Mandalorian. I see a Baby Yoda meme. I see Mandalorian content everywhere I go. And I have been for basically the, the entirety of 2020. I mean, season one bled into 2020. And then we get season two. Season two was the best Star Wars content since the original films. And, you know, I like I like episodes one, two, three, you know, seven, eight, nine. They're they're good. They're okay. But this is Star Wars to me. This is what this is true Star Wars to me. I mean Episode 13, The Jedi, it was a straight samurai episode, and you could see right through it. And you both have said this from the very beginning. You don't have to be a diehard Star Wars fan to consume this content and be happy with it. But if you are a diehard Star Wars fan like me, you are seeing all of these little Easter eggs that are dropped into each episode. We're getting characters from Clone Wars. We're getting characters from Rebels. They brought back Boba freaking Fett (laughs) out of the Sarlacc pit. I mean, people have been wanting that for literally a lifetime, it seems like. And then we get to the main characters. Din Djarin, the Mandalorian, and... Baby Yoda, we get his name. It's Grogu. It's, it's you know, it's kind of new for me still. It's growing <laughs> on me. Chris has gone off the Grogert. I mean, <laughs> yeah. see, we are we are bringing references from this little green alien into all aspects of life. So, to me, this this is like. This is the best thing that I've seen on Disney Plus, and this is one of the best seasons of television that I've seen in general. And Chris, I definitely understand your finale woes because I I agree with you in a sense where why did we need Luke Skywalker? You know, why does everything have to connect back to this Skywalker saga? But at the same time, It kind of made sense. I personally thought that it was 100% going to be this character from Rebels called Ezra Bridger, who is kind of a a really, really young, like, Padawan slash Jedi that disappeared into this, like, black hole at the end of the season. Spoiler. (laughs) But uh, I thought that was who was going to show up. But when you see the green lightsaber, and for me, it was when I saw the 
the glove on the hand. Yeah. Same. I it was mostly cuz I was like I don't know who this is. <laughs> I I mean, it didn't matter to me that like does this make sense? Do I really really think that this is good for the future of the show? It was just a reaction of oh my god, Hugh Luke Skywalker's music. He's about to, you know, kill everything in sight and it's going to be cool. And Personally, I I see where they're going for the next season. I know that like that's something that if you're not a diehard Star Wars fan, that like you don't understand maybe where the season's going. But I can tell you that it it's going to be a good storyline, even if unfortunately we don't see as much Grogu, Baby Yoda in the future. I mean, and I don't think that we see a lot. Of, I don't think we see Luke Skywalker. Honestly, we may see like a glimpse, but, you know, they had to do this whole CGI de-aging process on just to get that one scene. And I think they did it really, really quickly because they didn't want to show too much of them. I think they did kind of find caution in bringing in Luke Skywalker and kind of making it a satisfying ending to season two, as opposed to bringing it leading into season three. And it's like y'all have also said before, there's a story in this season that everybody can relate to, everybody can find some kind of joy in, whether it be the Western, the frog lady kind of horror show with the ice spiders, (laughs) (laughs) the samurai and bringing in Ahsoka, or Bill Burr, who, by the way, publicly trashed Star Wars and how much he disliked it. Right. And what did they do? They bring him on and be like, hey, come on, be a part of this. And, you know, I think, I think Chris, you said it, that he definitely played a more serious role and it was really cool. I I just, this show has character development. It has storyline that everybody can enjoy. It's there for the diehards. It's there for the rookies. I mean, it kind of has it all. And so I I don't know how you can not pick The Mandalorian Season 2. And thank you for coming to my Grogu talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Great. That's great. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the, like, social discussion that surrounds this show. I think that's really important to acknowledge because it's totally true. I mean, it hasn't been since Game of Thrones where like Twitter just really talks about this one thing when the episode's released and and you have to stay off Twitter to avoid spoilers for a certain TV show because everyone's talking about it. That's really cool. But at the same time, like when a TV show is in production, and they know that they drive conversation, it makes them want to respond by creating scenes and introducing characters that will drive conversation to get more people to talk about the show, to get more people to watch the show. So I always like kind of, I don't know, roll my eyes a little bit, I guess, when, uh, when I see a show getting too big on social, because it's usually never a good thing when it comes to the, the product coming out in the future. So like 
you talked about where the show's going to go next. We might not get to see any more Grogu, but uh, like if I'm following the Star Wars timeline accurately, the next logical chapter of Grogu's life would be training with Luke Skywalker, who is also training Kylo Ren. So we're going to have like a Grogu Adam Driver, maybe? Okay. <laughs> this is this is 20 years before Kylo arrives. All right, all right, all right. I have done my research on this. This is this is 20 years before Ben Solo. Before he's born like at all. I think before he, he arrives to Luke. So okay, so like Grogu is like the first graduating class. <laughs> he's the OG. So uh yeah, I would just love to see a scene with baby Grogu versus baby Kylo, like like yeah. 1v1 uh lightsaber battle or something. <laughs> um yeah, this this dark saber stuff, I I'm I'm really nervous about it. Like I'm really nervous about season 3 having a lot to do with, you know, the, claiming the throne of Mandalore and like you know, it's the pieces that we're left with. I, I'm not sure I'm, I'm vibing with them. Obviously, he still has to do something with the Beskar spear. He's got to go back to the armorer um, and, and do something with that. But I think by and large, when we think about 2020, Disney Plus is, is a huge part of this year. And, and the way that we've engaged with the Disney company and I mean, even before the pandemic, if you said the word Disney Plus and asked for the first word that comes to mind, I'd say The Mandalorian. It's, it is what Stranger Things did for Netflix in basically saying we can create quality content that is made originally for this platform and you should invest in us because there's more to come. So I love that about Mandalorian. Um, I, I think it's it's something that was a highlight for the year for me, even though it came pretty late. But um, like I said, with Rise of Resistance, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, I mean, it was open in Florida for a, a long time and, and is, is churning as we speak. But uh, I just, I think giving the crown to a, a parks thing in this bracket just doesn't really make sense when we're talking about this year. So I'm, I'm going to advance the Mandalorian to the finals. Yeah. Well, I was the tiebreaker here. So I, Mandalorian's moving on. All right. So Mandalorian season two, the number eight seed lands in the finals. We're going to talk about number seven, Disney family sing-alongs versus number six premier access. Here's the thing. 2020 was a difficult year, both uh, financially, culturally, everything. So we have an upcharge versus a, a cultural experience. And I use cultural experience extremely loosely <laughs> yes. in, this, in this context. It, it's more of just like the 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 trying to bring everyone together during a time in which we were not. And this is not because of like, you know, uh, the social injustice movement. This isn't because of election coverage. This is because like we literally could not be together. 
it was at the peak this came at the very peak of us all kind of like zoom hanging out with folks and others and having game nights and doing all this stuff before like the fatigue hit in so it was really capitalizing on this like how inventive can we get with video conferencing and they did a fairly good job I like that like some of the footage was raw. It felt like some of these people were letting us into their lives and they're also bad at technology like a lot of us are, right? Like it, it brings that relatability to the to the forefront. So like here the the clear winner is that like the more accessible thing in 2020 is the better Disney thing. Even though like Disney is perceived as this kind of money grabber especially when you get into the parks realm but like for them to to contribute to a way for us to connect around their brand in an authentic way that isn't necessarily forcing it down our throats or forcing us to pay for it (laughs) if you're not already on cable or if you don't already have a, a disney plus subscription this was a great event and it was a nice escape for an hour and part of disney is escaping your reality and into that of other realms so i'm here for it i'm advancing number seven disney family sing-alongs past premiere access kyle we did at this time last year a best disney thing of the 2010s and we had disney plus on that bracket and i think at first we were like oh disney plus is gonna go far here because we just saw the potential for it and we knew that it was going to be this game changer for the Disney company and for the way we engage with Disney content. And that's been 100% true. I mean, back when we started this podcast, we had to like find Sleeping Beauty on like a sketchy (laughs) www.cartoons.xyz, you know, and now it's at our fingertips whenever we want it. So like our prediction came true, but just because like that thing has changed the way we do things now, I'm glad we didn't crown it the winner of the 2010s because when we look back on the 2010s, like it, it wasn't Disney Plus. Like Disney Plus is going to be a 2020s thing. Um, yeah. So when I, I look at Premier Access here, like I'm so happy that it exists and it absolutely is going to change the way that we watch movies, but it hasn't quite yet. And I don't know if it will in 2021 or 2022. It's going to be when theaters are open again and we can make that choice. Like right now, we're, we're kind of forced to. It's like either premiere access or nothing. But there's going to come a time where the theaters open up again and, you know, the virus is gone or gone for now where we go, look, you can make a decision here. You can go to the crowded theater it's completely safe or you can stay at home and do a premiere access and which one are we going to choose it's a decision we aren't able to make yet so like the reward for disney adding premiere access hasn't come to fruition yet so i can't really call it the best thing of 2020 because it hasn't reached its full potential so i'm with you in sending disney family sing-alongs to the finals michael do you agree 100 percent agree I mean, I, I think you outlined it perfectly, Chris. It, you know, we got the ta- first taste of it. And I think it's something that is definitely here to stay. And, you know, I have similar feelings where it's like, sometimes I just don't want to go to the movie theater. You know, I don't want to take all the time to, you know, go do all the extra stuff that's included with it. And sometimes I just want to, you know, 
have my own snacks, be in my own space, and watch a dope Disney movie. So, and Premier Access is going to give everybody that that access. And you know, Mulan is just the beginning. I I think that they're going to uh, go really far. I hope that this continues in a positive way, and it's not something that gets twisted up as time goes on. But uh, yeah, I definitely feel like the Disney sing along feels very 2020. I don't know if they continue with it. But to me, it, it's always going to feel very 2020. So I think it's very appropriate that this moves on. All right. Well, we've got our finals matchup. It's number eight, Mandalorian Season 2 versus number seven, Disney Singalongs. Uh, I want to respond to what you just said, Michael. Like, you don't know if they're going to bring these into post-pandemic life. And I'm going to say I hope they do. And it's because... I'm sure Kyle agrees with me. We love weird covers of Disney songs. Yes, and we do. That's a hint at uh, the bracket that's going to precede this one immediately. But like, <laughs> I would love until the end of time to have like strange marriages between artists and like Disney songs. You know, totally. Like, totally. I'm here for the weirdness. Like, I'm over listening to clean perfect versions of a disney song every time like i i want to hear something a little bit more raw and and the disney sing-alongs provide that weirdness and i'm very 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 here for it uh i i kind of want to mention the production uh, of both of these a little bit or at least kind of like hypothesize on on what it might be like um so the disney sing-alongs ryan seacrest presents it as like these are Disney stars in their home with no help at all. It's just them and their camera and, you know, however they can record. I'm kind of like... They sent them, like, uh, at the very least, a ring light and, like, the newest iPhone and a tripod and a microphone, and they said, here's how you set it up. Like, they for sure at least did that. And then if you're Derek Huff, you just went all out yeah and like there are a few moments where he kind of flips his camera around and you can see like multiple tripods like on the kitchen island it's it's pretty extra but like you know i love that i i I love that energy of like look we're in quarantine i said um last episode that like my response was to like do less do much much less and like kind of kind of keep my blood pressure and my heart rate down to just like stay level-headed but like some people's reaction is like let's let's have fun like let's be creative like let's be crazy and like let's make some memories in this environment so I really appreciate that whole extraness and then you've got Julianne Huff who I'm just asking myself the whole time who is holding the camera because (laughs) She made someone do it. And I was like, she's married to Brooks Like, who is a former NHL player, member of the Washington (laughs) Capitals. And I'm like, I really, really hope Brooks Like is behind the camera here. Then I looked it up and turns out uh, they separated in late May of 2020. But Disney Disney sing-alongs came out in early May of 2020. So I'm Uh, over here like, was there some kind of like maybe? This is what did it. Uh, <laughs> this is I don't, what did it. I don't mean to make 
light of someone's relationship issues, but like I could it. totally see there being some type of meltdown with like <laughs> yeah. record this me was... doing this intricate dance number. It's like I don't know how to work this camera. <laughs> We've um, done it eight times. It was fine the first time. So they reconciled in August, which oh. is great. Uh, and then she filed for divorce in November, a couple weeks before the Disney holiday version came out. So this is it. I'm not saying, I'm just saying the advanced production quality she may have expected on this could have led to her divorce. <laughs> if you're listening to this, Julianne Huff, I'm really sorry. You never know who's listening to your podcast. So you uh, please let us know if we are wrong, because we probably are. Also, like these people have to deliver their assets somewhere. Like, yep. and just picturing like Shakira figure out how to Dropbox like <laughs> the file into the <laughs> Disney server is hilarious to me. And not only that, like the person who has to like go through the raw footage of them like yeah. doing their things, just so funny for me to imagine. Like all of the bloopers, all of the like cringy moments because mm-hmm. some of them just like recorded straight into it. Like Josh Gad just put in his AirPods and he's like, no, I'm going like, yeah. and it, it, like yeah, doesn't yeah. sound very good. And then some people you can tell are like lip syncing. So yes. maybe they like sent Disney a video file of a lip sync. And then they sent him like an audio file of like a clean recording with a mic. So exactly. like, I would love to go through like the link lip sync videos and just see like awkward Shakira, like dancing with like no music with like, like disco lights in the background. I was like, and so like that is 2020 in a nutshell. It is a person working from home with no support whatsoever. Be like, how am I supposed to do my job right now? When like Shakira sent me the wrong file for this. And it's also terrible. So, like, this Disney sing-alongs, like, whole production is just a total guerrilla operation. It's it's interesting to me. Like, on the one hand, I want to be like, it's terrible because of that. And then on the other hand, I want to be like, it's a fascinating train wreck, which I love me a fascinating Disney train wreck. <laughs> um, Mandalorian Season 2 finished shooting before the pandemic, so they didn't have to d- deal with as many of these barriers here. One little interesting production observation I had is chapter, I want to say 14, the one where Mando puts Grogu on the big rock. I swear (laughs) that is like my backyard. Like that is so clearly Southern, Southern California, like near the border of Mexico. It is distracting. Like they're supposed to be on this like alien planet. And I'm like, they're literally right there on the trailhead by my house right now. Like I could have looked out the window one day and seen my boy Tem playing Boba Fett. <laughs> that was a cost-cutting measure, one hundred thousand percent. There was a really cool cast of directors for for all of these episodes. You, you know, you had this solid, just like obviously good installments from the likes of people like Dave Filoni who are series regulars. Um, And then you had Bryce Dallas Howard do the episode where Bo-Katan shows up 
Admittedly, that's an episode I fell asleep during, so it must not have been that great. But the one that really stood out to me was the Carl Weathers directed episode. Yeah. Uh, really incredible. It was the one where they do like the the. It was the one where they go and like blow up the mining facility or fracking facility. Yeah. Uh, there's there's honestly a lot of fracking in this season of <laughs> Mandalorian. It's very anti-Empire fracking. But uh, <laughs> it was the one where they brought back the blue guy. And like Carl Weathers is like very in the episode. So yeah, uh, there was some like really cool choices when it comes to like camera work and, and editing and stuff like that. I was I was really impressed to see Carl Weathers' name at the end of it. Um, there was a really good shot of like, Mando looking through like a little hole to see like baby Yoda trying to fix a little thing. Yeah. And then there's like yep, a, re- yep. it was like a reverse shot from uh, Grogu's point of view and Mando's just kind of like, <laughs> I'm like, dude, that's, a- that was cool. They got in there and, and, and made that happen. So shout out to Carl Weathers for some great direction. Always a great actor, but it was cool to see him behind the camera as well. Woo, y'all, this one is really, really tough. This one's really tough. I mean, I think obviously like the better content is Mandalorian season two, but I think Michael articulated it perfectly last round. There is nothing more 2020 than throwing together a self-recorded TV show that airs on ABC. Like it, it is what it is. I mean, I don't know how often I'm going to be, watching these i'll probably like grab my favorites and put them into like a power hour (laughs) compilation or something like that (laughs) but uh definitely baby mine featuring nugget will be be in my rotation of, of fun disney covers i i think when i think about this year i think about we were all super online we were all skyping we were all zooming uh we were all trying to be goofballs in our own homes and and have fun in our own way and just make the best of what we have. And Disney Family Singalongs has all of that throughout. So I, unfortunately, Michael, am crowning the seven seed Disney Family Singalongs the best Disney thing of 2020. I think that Mandalorian is going to win out unless tides change very nicely in this uh, in this decade uh our our best things of 2020s and i think it's because of the way that they did the like anthology style directing of each episode and they did that in, in season one as well with a lot of the same directors um the way that they were able to shoot and the technology that they used for it like the 360 screen technology instead of green screens where they actually had high enough resolution screens to shoot them on camera and it looks like an actual background like are you joking we've been messing around with green screens for so long and now you're creating realistic environments with screens that you're also seeing and also not to mention that these screens motion track so like you don't even have to develop a way for it to change it will track the target so that the perspective changes with the camera. It's mind blowing. Watch the gallery on Disney plus. It's crazy. And all that being said, like the most 2020 Disney thing is the sing-alongs. <laughs> it's the sing-alongs. 
The most 2020 thing is the thing that we didn't expect. The thing that like Disney does best, which is put on a show no matter what. You think about like anything that happens at the parks, people don't break character unless Michael's harassing them about Grogu in line. Like they're they're going to put on a show. They're going to make sure that everyone is having a good time. They're going to incorporate familiarity, tap into nostalgia. Mandalorian season two definitely does all of that, but the digestible content to the masses is the sing-alongs. And it's also that kind of familiness, right? Get the family together. We're going to put the lyrics on screen for you to sing along with with your family. We're going to have some obnoxious vocal warm-up to lead off every episode. And then you're going to hear your favorite hits. And it's going to be this really like heartwarming, great feeling that you feel at the end of the day after a long day at the parks and you're watching the fireworks. That's what I always connect it to, especially because these things usually show up on a Sunday. So it's like the end of the week, you're starting a new week, end it with this, with your family, with things that you remember, things that you love. That's why I'm agreeing with you, Chris. The Disney family sing-alongs, the number seven seed is taking the best Disney thing of 20. 20 and as we do at the end of every episode we're gonna clap it out michael grogu and mando made it almost as far as they possibly could what are your thoughts with the final choice and the sing-alongs being crowned i won't say that i'm not disappointed because the mandalorian was something for me that every single friday morning I woke up, I got my coffee, and I would watch the new episode. It was that thing that I looked forward to every single week. And what I could do in between that was I could, you know, be on social and talk to people about it. I could, you know, listen to a podcast about it. I could, you know, there was content that surrounded this show, and there's, it definitely hasn't, this, kind of show hasn't really uh hit me since like the game of thrones era which by the way pedro pascal who plays din jaren was also in game of thrones and he also had a spear <laughs> and then he Except, dropped it <laughs> <laughs> hey but at least he learned in the mandalorian to wear a helmet hey oh but yeah um so personally the mandalorian means a lot to me but this is a great winner. The Disney sing-alongs were, like I said before, it was so 2020. I mean, y'all have said it before, and I'll just reiterate. I mean, none of this was perfect. 2020 was not perfect by any means necessary. And to for Disney to really just shell out all of this money to get all of these big time stars. I mean, we had people like Ariana Grande, Halsey, you know, all the Broadway stars. I mean, the you'll be in my heart by all the um, Broadway stars. That was amazing. And they're doing this in their home. And yeah, the, the production value is probably much better than, you know, an iPhone and like a speaker or a microphone, but you know, they made it real enough to where, you know, when you're sitting down with your family or the people that you love and, you know, we're experiencing this pandemic, we're in quarantine, we're in lockdown. 
we all experience this. And I think that Disney being able to put this out to the masses and kind of bring everybody together, it, it really is heartwarming and it's, it's definition Disney. And so I definitely feel like it is a deserving winner as much as, you know, I love baby Yoda and the Mandalorian. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to Mouse Madness in 2020. We sincerely thank you in advance for hanging out with us in 2021. We got so many great ideas already on the board. We can't wait to do them. Uh, We'll be back next week with another bracket. Michael, thank you so much for joining us on this adventure. We hope you had fun looking back on all these 2020 things. Oh, guys, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And, uh, Happy New Year. Here's uh, here's the bigger and better things in 2021. Listeners, you know how to reach us. If you've got something to say, if you agree with Michael that The Mandalorian Season 2 is the best thing that's ever happened to anyone, uh, <laughs> you, if you're mad about these 2020 picks, send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Send us a tweet at mousemadnesspod or hit us up on Instagram or Facebook. Join our Discord server. We're we're chatting Disney all the time. We will catch you in the next bracket. And until then, thank Barrick, everyone.